if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open up to Romans chapter 8 in verse 28. We're going to get there in just a second. Um, hope you're enjoying the weather, the warm weather, and enjoying your, your summer break for some of you, for others of you, not so much. But um, Pastor Aaron is actually on vacation this week and weekend, and it's good to take some time and to recharge your batteries and to refresh. And I give you permission, Life Church. don't tell anybody this, but I give you permission. You can miss a weekend this summer. Okay, just, just one, though. You don't want to miss too many. Uh, we'll come after you. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. But um, you can go ahead and uh, make sure you enjoy your summer um, this summer. But uh, we are in a series called Highlights this summer, and we're looking at some of the famous verses as some of our most favorite verses throughout Scripture. Last week, we talked about Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Pastor Aaron had a great message on that passage of Scripture. Today, we're going to look at one of my favorite verses, one of the ones that I learned when I was a little kid, still, you know, it's one that I rely on a lot. I go back to a lot. It's one of those ones that it's just, it's, it's kind of a go-to verse, uh, if you will, for me. It's Romans eight twenty-eight. We're going to read it together here. It says, all things work together for good to those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. All things work together for good for those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. It's, it's a great verse. I mean, that's just an awesome promise that God is going to work out everything for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul was one of the greatest authors in, in the entire Bible. And of all the books that he wrote, Romans is regarded by many theologians to be the greatest or the most significant book that he wrote, and of all the chapters in, in, in the book of Romans, I would argue that Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter or the most significant chapter um, in that entire book of the Bible, and of all the verses in Romans chapter 8, I, I have to believe that Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is the greatest verse in that chapter. It's an awesome verse, but what happens often that I see is that when a verse becomes popular, it also becomes misused a lot. And I believe Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is one of the most misused, misquoted, misinterpreted scriptures in the entire Bible. I think it's, it's, it's a verse that can oftentimes become uh, common or ordinary, and it, it's something that becomes kind of trite or cute, and we might write it in a, in a get well card or something like that, and it kind of, at, at some point, I think it can lose some of its significance, and we can lose the true meaning of what this verse is really trying to say. And so uh, today is going to be a little bit more of a Bible study type of a format. I, I'm typically, I like to preach on the application side of things and really inspire and encourage. And today, we're, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm, uh, I want to just dive in on this verse a little bit and really see, we're going to walk through a majority of the book, uh, excuse me, the chapter of Romans chapter 8, just bits and pieces here and there, but I want to just focus in because it, it's significant to understand the context. You have to understand a greater amount of that chapter, and so my prayer for you today is that we would look at this verse in an entirely different way than maybe we ever have before. I've been teaching my kids about prerequisites lately, and uh, oh, it's fun. It's, it's a good time, and in order to do this, you must first do that. In, in order to play on the McDonald's playland, you must first eat your food, okay? That always goes over really well with my kids. I don't know about you, but they say, yes, sir, 
we're happy to eat our food and we'll, you know, that doesn't exactly go down like that. But my son, Ben, he's two years old. He just turned two this past Thursday. And um, I know they talk about terrible twos. And I'm like, well, he hit that early. So I don't know what to expect after this. But he has some mood swings, okay? Great kid, has some mood swings. I don't know where they come from. Amanda says it's, they're, they're from me. I don't buy into that at all. I don't get that. But um, he, he's two years old, and he's having some trouble understanding prerequisites right now. The other day, we were uh, eating lunch as a family, and we were around the table, and uh, everybody's kind of finishing up. I finished my lunch, and so I, uh, I went up to get, we had a fresh baked pan of special K bars. I don't know what you call them. I've always grown up calling them special K bars. I love special K bars. If you want to sow good seed into my life, you can, I mean, I get you the recipe. You don't know how. I can, I can show you, but it, they're, they're delicious. I love special K bars. I don't like a lot of desserts, only a handful of desserts. Really don't like very many desserts. I love special K bars. And so um, I, I took a special K bar, went back to my seat, but my son Ben was not done eating yet. That's a bad mistake. And so he's, he turns out also like special K bars. And uh, he calls them cookies, though. He calls every dessert a cookie. And he's saying, I want, I want cookie. I want cookie. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a great moment to teach about prerequisites. If only I could rewind time and do this over again. But so I decided, okay, Ben, you can, have, you can have a special K bar in just a second, but you first need to eat one more grape. You ever done this as a parent? It's just an arbitrary number of something. That, you know, I was just like, you just got to eat one more grape. And uh, did not want to eat one more grape. Would not eat one more grape and would do everything in his power to make sure that I knew that he's not eating another grape. He's going to have a special K bar. And that turned into to a tornado of just the, one of the worst tantrums I've ever seen. And just, just a side note, sometimes as an adult, sometimes I wish that we w- it was appropriate that we had tantrums every now and then because I'm like, there's times. It's, it's in here. And just, just let it out. Like I'm grocery shopping, and I don't like grocery shopping at all. Sometimes I just want to just, what if I just laid down in the mi- middle of the aisle and just screamed because I, I just want to go home. I don't like this. Anyway, so he's having this tantrum. My wife tells me I can't do that. So, so Ben, he's having, having this tantrum. I make eye contact with my wife, and I'm kind of the thought that both of us were thinking is, is it worth it? Should we just cave in, okay? Have you ever caved in? As a, it's okay. Sometimes it's just better to just cave in every now and then. But I was like, no, no, no. We're not caving in on this one. I am going to take it head on. He's got to learn. He did not learn that day <laughs> at all. Um, I told him, well, if you're not going to eat a grape, you can't have a cookie. And, and, and I'm going to actually just put you, to, put, put you to, for, down for a nap. And, and that went over really well, too. He loves, loves naps. And so I picked him up, and as he's kind of like writhing and trying to bite his way out of my grip, and it's like he was turning into a transformer or something, trying to just, and he's just screaming. I put him down in his bed, and um, I, I begin to just, I don't know if I should tell you this, but I actually just held him down. Is that okay? I held him down for a little while, and I, I, it was gentle, but... Um, if the neighbors would have heard, I, I don't know, they might have gotten a visit from the police, I don't know, but I don't know if this is okay, but I was like holding him down gently to make sure he couldn't get up, because he's just going to get up, and he knows how to open doors, which is sweet, and so I, I'm just holding him down, 
and he finally eventually falls asleep and, and all of that, and we have to go revisit that someday, and I'm excited for when we have to teach about that. But um, as a kid, man, we don't like prerequisites. We don't like to be told you have to do this in order to do that. And what I'm finding out is that as an adult, um, I don't really like prerequisites either. Um, I remember signing up for college classes, and um, you learn the word prerequisite pretty, pretty full on right there because you, at the bottom of the class list, it says prerequisites, and then it lists you've got to have all these classes that, in order to take the class that you want, and so you've got to find a new class. I, I learned this when buying a, a house for the first time. My goodness, the amount of prerequisites that involve, are involved in that, going through all the different hoops in order to see that happen. I mean, I think that's why people are so infatuated with winning the lottery because you can get to a place in life where you can skip a lot of the prerequisites in order to get to that point financially, and people love that. You know, we love this instant gratification type society where everything just happens, everything is just instant, and uh, we don't have to worry about all the prerequisites. But reading through Scripture, God is a God of prerequisites. And uh, in fact, reading through, I could only find one promise of God that does not involve a prerequisite. And the, the, the one promise is the love of God. And that's, that's an awesome promise, that it comes without any strings attached. It comes without any conditions. It comes just simply, I mean, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says it like this. We love because he first loved us. It has no prerequisite, no condition, no strings attached. But every other promise that I find in Scripture has some sort of a prerequisite. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is no different than that. It has a prerequisite. You know, all things work together for good. There's the promise. We love that part of it. For those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. There it is. There's the, that's the prerequisite. You look at, uh, through the Old Testament, you look at Noah. And in order to get to the place where, where God kind of saved him and delivered him and made him great, um, it all, there's a prerequisite of building an ark. You look at Joseph, and we like to, to read about how God worked out all things in his situation. What man went, meant for evil, God meant for good. And we love that verse. I believe it's Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. We love that story of Joseph, but the, the things that he had to go through in order to get to that point. Or, or Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. We love that verse. We write it in graduation cards all the time. We and I love that verse. But the context that it was actually written, if you really just read through the book of Jeremiah, is that they were going to be enslaved for 70 years in exile in a foreign country before that verse was ever realized, before God was ever going to actually hold up his end of the deal and, and, and hold up that promise. See, we like to jump and talk about the promise. We love to to claim the promise, but so often we can have a tough time really understanding and really walking out what's the prerequisite, what, what are the things that God is asking us to do. So the question in Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is what's, what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to be called according to his purpose? I think we ought to understand what that means if we're going to really understand the purpose of this scripture. 
And I'm going to argue today that loving God and being called according to his purpose, I believe Paul is making a point that he's actually, he, he's not talking about two different qualifications. He's talking about one qualification. They're one in the same. It's not an either or. It's a both and. All those who love God are called according to his purpose. And so I'm not going to argue it as two different prerequisites. I believe it's, it's, it's just, it's all one prerequisite, and it's that we love God. What does that look like? As Christ followers, that should be the distinguishing characteristic of us as Christ followers, is that we love God. I mean, Moses says it in the book of Deuteronomy that you are to love God. Um, you know, he says with all, all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and Jesus he changes it just a little bit. He says, to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. We are to love God. But too often, I think, as Christians, we can relegate loving God to doing things. Like, the more I read my Bible, the more I pray, the more I go to church, and, and the more I do this and that, the more I, I serve others, that's somehow it, it ranks how much you love God. And I believe that's not at all what the Bible teaches it's, 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 it's not it. We love God. It's so much more simple than that. And I'm thankful that Paul, in the book of Romans chapter 8, leading up until verse 28, explains what it means to love God. And to look at verse 28 by itself, it doesn't really help us out a whole lot. We've got to look at what is the context that it was written. Paul gives us, in my mind, I see three different things that Paul talks about. It says, these are the things that distinguish somebody. This is how you know that somebody loves God is these three things. And the first one is this. And we're going to read through some of this together. But the first one is this. If you love God, you've had a heart change. Real simple. If you love God, you've had a heart change. He says in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, I, I'll tell you, I'll be the first to admit, Paul sometimes writes in a little bit of a confusing way, and sometimes reading verses, especially the chapter 28, I think can be a bit of a confusing chapter if, if, if you just read it really fast straight through. But when you really begin to study it and really begin to sit down and say, what is he, what is he trying to say in this? This first four verses, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about having a heart change. He's talking about being born again. He's talking about that every person who loves God must realize that there is sin, that is a disease, and that the only cure is Jesus Christ. The only cure is us accepting that free gift of salvation into our lives. You know, it's, it, it's by the grace of God you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself, lest no man should boast, according to Ephesians chapter 2. That's what salvation is. And you read through the rest of Romans, Romans 5, 8 says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says if we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that we will be saved. You know, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, you could go on and on all day, verses that talk about this salvation that is offered freely through Jesus Christ. And I believe that 
what happens according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, is that anyone who's in Christ, anyone who has that heart change, is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There's a heart change that takes place in our lives. That's the first step in, in, in anybody loving God. I, I believe it's impossible to love God without having a heart change. You can know a lot about God. You can have a lot of knowledge. You can read your Bible. You can pray. You can come to church. You can think you have it all figured out. But in order to love God, there has to be a time in your life where you submit to God and say, God, I can't do it by myself. I need what only you can offer. I need your salvation. I need that heart change in my life. That's the first thing that Paul says. Anybody who loves God must experience that heart change. The second thing that he says, if we go just to the next verse, if you love God, you'll desire a head change. You'll desire a head change. I would have used mind change, but I like alliteration, so I'm going to stick with an H on that one. So you desire a head change. That's just kind of how I work, but anyway. If you love God, you'll desire a head change. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what, nature, on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And if you read through the next, it's about 10 verses or so, it talks about this concept of your mind and your sinful nature dwelling in your mind. And I believe that, you know, you can have a heart change. And Paul writes about this in many different books throughout the New Testament, that you can have a heart change but your mind isn't necessarily changed. You can still deal with your sinful nature. You can still sin. You can still deal with sin. In fact, you will still deal with sin because, yes, your heart has been changed. It's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But your head has not. Your, your mind has not been renewed. Paul actually talks about it like this later in Romans. In uh, chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our minds need to constantly be renewed. They need to constantly be set on the things of God. Has anybody here, have you walked on your grass lately? Anybody here? It's not good. I'm just going to tell you. I, I uh, walked out in my backyard the other night, and I... Um, stepped down, picked up my foot, and I had two pieces of grass impaled in my foot. I mean, I was like bleeding and everything from a piece of grass, okay? I mean, I, I tried to water some of it, but I didn't do all of it, and so there's just different parts that are really spotty. You don't have enough rain, you don't have enough water, your grass, it's going to wither, it's going to get crusty, it's going to get nasty. Eventually, it's going to just straight up die and wither and, and all of that. And the same thing for us as Christ followers is true, that if we do not constantly give attention to our mind, to the sinful nature that dwells in each one of us, even though you've had a heart change, you still battle with that sinful nature. You still, and I don't believe you're ever going to fully conquer it on this side of eternity, but that you have to constantly give attention to it. You have to constantly renew your mind. You have to constantly drink the living water of Jesus Christ so that your mind can be renewed. You know, the Bible says, um, I, I believe one of the most simple ways that we do this is that we have the word of God hidden in our heart. 
that I might not sin against you. That's what the Bible says, that we have the word of God in our heart. I think it starts with getting in the word of God, you know, reading your Bible, not so that you can check it off on your list because that's how you love God. It's not about that. It's about renewing your mind. It's about being filled, setting your mind on the things of God. You're not going to know what the things of God are unless you read the word of God. I think it's in spending time in, in prayer, just talking to God, to renew your mind that way, to spend time just talking to him, not out of obligation, not because you have a need that, that you need met. I mean, sure, you can go to God at any time with confidence. I believe that. But to just spend time renewing your mind, being with God, to spend time worshiping both corporately here at church, by yourself, individually, spending time just renewing your mind. If you love God, you'll, you'll have a heart change, but you'll also have a head change. Not that you're going to be perfect, but that you're constantly renewing your mind. The third thing is this, if you love God, you'll experience a hope change. There it is, another H. If you, if, if you truly love God, you'll experience a hope change. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 24, it says it like this. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. Again, Paul writing in somewhat of a confusing manner, but man, what, I, what, what he is saying is that we must take our hope from, from the things of this world and what we typically put our hope in and put it in God. Here, I'll just, this is just an example, kind of an, an analogy. It's kind of like a ladder, Okay, now envision a ladder, not one that just sets up by itself, but one that leans against a wall or a building. Uh, the ladder gets its strength from, from what it's leaning against, okay? And so um, if that wall is not very sturdy or strong, I mean, the, the ladder is going to go down and the ladder is completely useless. As a Christ follower, before we are a Christ follower, we lean our ladder on a lot of different things, Okay. I mean, you, you've, and typically you don't know what you're leaning it against until that wall crumbles. You've seen this with the financial crisis that we've been in over the last few years. Many people have come to find out they were leaning their ladder against their finances, against their job, against their ability to create wealth. They were leaning it on that, and when it came crashing down, they lost all hope. Their ladder came down with it. They lost hope. You see this. I've seen it um, from time to time with uh, parents who, uh, who become an empty nester for the first time. All their kids have flown out of the nest, and we encourage that all the time. Just, you know, you're, you're encouraged to leave, go, and, and all of that. But um, what happens sometimes with parents, and I've seen it, is that they realize that all these years they've been putting their hope in their kids. And so their kids leave, and they become depressed they become hopeless. I mean, I've seen time and time again the number of marriages that co completely fall apart after the kids are all gone and the ladder comes crashing down because they were putting their hope in their children. 
As a Christ follower, the minute that we have that heart change, we move our ladder from whatever it was leaning against, and we move it onto God. The only thing that will never decay, that's what Paul talks about. Everything else will decay. Everything else will die. God is the only constant, the only thing that we can lean our ladder against, the only thing that we can put our hope and our trust and our complete confidence in, that it's all, he's always going to be there. He's never going to forsake us. That's the only thing that we can put our full confidence in, our full hope. That's what it means to love God. And Paul walks us through that, he, you know, the, the, the heart change, receiving salvation, the renewing of your mind, constantly just saying, I, I need to become more and more like Jesus, and then taking our hope away from the things of this world and putting it onto God. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. That's what it means to love God. And I know we've, we've focused a lot of time t- today on the prerequisite, but I want to focus just for a minute on the promise. That's, that's the great part. That's the awesome part of this verse is the promise that all things work together for good. All things work together for good. If you love God, based on kind of what Paul sets up through the first 27 verses, if you truly love God, not that you're perfect, you're never going to be perfect, but if you truly love God, then, and only then, God works out all things together for good. Now, I'll also say that while sometimes we ignore the prerequisite, we also sometimes misinterpret the promise. Sometimes, and and this is often how this verse gets read, that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. That means that if I lose my job, that means that God has a better one for me down the road. And, and, and we, we use this verse to back that up and to make that claim, saying that if I lose my job, it's okay. Yeah, might as well go to your boss and just tell him, thanks for firing me because I got a better one. I know God, don't do that. That would not be very wise for you to do. But that's not what this verse is talking about. It's not talking about your good here on earth. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about God's greater good. It's talking about God's ultimate plan for humanity. And if you read the following verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. I believe that the good that God is talking about here in this verse that Paul is writing about in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, I believe the good that he's talking about is that we become more like Christ. It's not talking about that we get more stuff. That, you know, we get bigger and, and better uh, situation, a bi- you know, a bigger and better job, a bigger and a better house, a bigger and a better this and that. It's, it's not talking about that. It's talking that we would be conformed to who God is. And I go back to the story with my son, uh, with Ben. My goal in that whole scenario was not that he gets a special K-bar, Okay. As much as I wanted that for him, believe me, I, I wanted, I, you know, I mean, I wanted him to get a special K-bar. That's that, but that wasn't the most important thing that I was after. I want to create in him some patience, some self-control, for crying out loud. You know, I want to create in him, um, uh, you know, some character. I mean, he might not realize this until 20 years from now. I don't know. Uh, but that as a parent, that's what we do. It's not because I'm trying to be mean to him. It's not because, you know, I'm just trying to, 
you know, just get to bed. I don't want you to ever have a, a special K bar ever. You know, that's, that's not my heart. My heart is that he would grow and develop and learn. The special K bar is a profoundly secondary benefit. Okay, I want that for him. But the same thing is true with our Heavenly Father. I believe that when, when he's talking about good, he's talking about us being more like him. It's about us developing character. It's about us, you know, uh, just go back to the example of, of losing your job because I know that that's a prevalent thing in our society right now. That just because uh, you lost your job doesn't mean that God has a bigger and a better job for you. Maybe you were becoming less and less like Jesus Christ. You know, I, I don't mean to read into anybody. You know, you have your own situation. I'm not speaking this over anybody in this room. But maybe it's because you're becoming less and less like Jesus Christ and that his desire for you is to become more like him. And becoming more like him, maybe, maybe having a bigger and a better job is not the goal. Maybe that, that's not the purpose in it. It's about him. It's about you becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. God's goal for us is not what we think is good. It's, it's about becoming more like him. If I were to, Eugene Peterson wrote the Message Bible. If I were to write my own version of the Bible, this verse would go a little something like this. It would go like this. For those who truly love God, God will take any situation, good or bad, in order to make you more like him. For those who truly love God, you're not perfect, you don't have it all figured out, but for those who truly love God, God will take any situation, good or bad, to make you more like him. Well, Ryan, I think I like the version better that uh, where it ends in me getting a new boat, okay? Uh, you know, I, I don't know what it is, and maybe you would prefer that version sometimes. But ultimately, and I believe this with all my heart, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about our time here on earth. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's not about us getting awesome stuff and us, everything working out the way we think it should work out here on earth. The goal and the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we conform to who he is. That we, come, we, we become more and more like Jesus Christ every single day. That's the goal for us as Christ followers. And that's what it means in Romans 8, 28, when it says, uh, you know, God works out all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The, the beauty is that when we become more like Christ, everything else just seems to, to work itself out. I mean, going back to what Pastor Aaron preached about last weekend, Matthew six thirty three, that seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. When we seek after God and we're conformed, to who he is, everything else, it, it, we're not about getting more stuff or, or getting a, a bigger and a better this and that. It's all about becoming more like Jesus Christ. I, I love the way that Paul finishes the book of, of Romans chapter 8. Um, he, he's, he, he does this all the time throughout scripture. He takes a chapter and he, he has a lot of challenge for us and a lot of things for us to kind of sort through and work through, but at the end, he typically ends with just a word of encouragement for us. And I want to just close today by simply encouraging you by the same words that Paul writes at the end of Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I know for some of you this might be uncomfortable, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Would you just close your eyes with me? 
I'm not going to call anyone out or anything like that. This is, I just close your eyes with me. I just want to read the rest of the scripture and allow it to sink into your heart because I know that there's people in this room that you might be battling real deal things in your life and you just need some encouragement today. And I believe that in Romans chapter 8, the last few verses, that Paul wants to encourage you today. Starting in verse 31, it says, What then shall we say? In response to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Skipping down to verse 35, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, by all these things, it means your job, your marriage, any sickness that you might be dealing with. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great promises in Scripture. We thank you that you do work out all things for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We thank you for those promises, Lord. And I pray today that as, as we are Christ followers here today, every person in this room who calls himself a Christ follower, Lord, that we would continually be conformed to who you are. Lord, we've, many of us, we've experienced that heart change and we thank you for that free gift of salvation. Lord God, you offer it so freely to us. But I pray, Lord God, that we would experience today a renewing of our mind. Even right here where we're at, Lord God, I pray that we would renew our mind, that we would set our mind on you today. I pray, Lord God, for some people in this room, they just need to experience a hope change. They're putting their hope in all the wrong things today. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us back to putting our hope and our trust in you and you alone. We thank you, God, that Life Church is a church filled with people who have experienced life change in you. Lord God, we do not take that for granted. I pray that every day that we would live this out to our very, very best of our ability in order to conform to who you are, to become more like Jesus every single day. I pray that you would challenge our hearts today. In your name we pray. Amen.